Welcome to The Dream Season, a podcast for entrepreneurs, writers, and creatives of all kinds looking to finally find some balance in your life so you can get back to enjoying the things you love and even the things you don't love but have to do anyway. I'm your host, Holly Ostara, and together we're going to bring delight, inspiration, and sustainability to your creative flow one season at a time. So let's make this the season of your dreams. Welcome back, everybody, to the dream season. Today, I'm talking to Heidi Mark, the gentle rebel coach. She's a speaker, author, and host of the Overwhelm is Optional podcast, which helps you gently rebel against the nonsense that life has to be hard, that success requires sacrificing your ability to feel well, to laugh easily, think clearly, and have time and energy to enjoy the things that success is supposed to give you. Her book, Overwhelm is Optional, was published in 2022. So, Heidi, I'm really excited to have you here today. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Oh, you're very welcome. We've connected. We've been in contact for a few months now, and I think we really hit it off. You had me on your podcast, Overwhelm is Optional, and I really enjoyed talking to your listeners over there, and I'm really excited to have you talk to our listeners here. One of the things that I'd really love for you to share today is how you came to be known as the Gentle Rebel Coach and what that means to you. Ah, great question. Love it. Um, I love an oxymoron <laughs> and a rebellion, a rebellion is fierce. And we, I had used enough fierce energy to get through and surf those years of burnout, you know, surfing that verge of breakdown through a brilliant career, <laughs> a career I loved and sacrificed much for, but which surprisingly, incredibly surprisingly resulted in burnout. And so when I found myself unexpectedly burnt out, and with no choice but to quit losing everything, my financial, well, not everything, but my financial stability, my hard worked for career, my professional respect, my confidence, et cetera. I knew that I needed to do things differently. So for me, it wasn't an option to quit having financial stability and well-paid meaningful work, but I needed to do things differently. And so I built into my business that my business would be based on the idea that I walk my talk. This was to prevent me cheating by pushing over, you know, overworking to build the business and then relaxing. And over the past five years, this has become the gentle rebellion. It's just come out of that work, out of my own experience, out of my work with clients. So it's just a different way of doing things. I love how you say that you couldn't let yourself cheat because yeah, that is something that I feel is is probably normal for a lot of us creatives. We need kind of someone to be there to make sure we get we do the things we say we'll do, um, not in a a way that we're not reliable, but in a way that we have so many things that we're passionate about or so many things we want to do. And that sometimes those things can get away from us. Have you found that to be true? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a crazy ideas person. I wake up with a million ideas. My brain's always going a million miles an hour, which is 
well, I have to get out of my head. It's just not a good place to be. What are some of the ways that you find are helpful for getting out of your head? I just feel my feet on the ground. On my road to crash and burn out, I had this sensible plan like we do. And originally I was going to do a master's in applied positive psychology and, and use that in my well-being business. But instead I realized I needed to get out of my head. So I took an absolute U-turn and retrained with a Zen master to be a Zen yoga teacher because I needed to get out of my head into my body. I didn't realize at the time that that would become my thing. That would become the thing I'm known for, the thing that I do. The first thing I do with myself, with my clients, is get us out of our head into our body. But because Zen yoga is basically body mindfulness, it's, it's, it's similar but different to the normal yoga. Um, and it taught me in a really profound way the value of listening to my body, of just noticing the thoughts, noticing all the crazy ideas, all the chaos and, and creativity, all the anxiety, all the loops of doom and fear in my head and being able to let that be, not try to control it and just move my attention from here down to my feet and feel my feet on the ground, feel connected to the earth, feel strong and stable and start to take up my space. I was feeling very squished. I wasn't really, I, was, I hadn't really found a way to be in my fullness. And I think that to me has become the adventure. That is the gender rebellion. How do I get to allow myself to be more and more myself, to spread out a bit? There's a lot of treading lightly on the earth at the moment, as if we should come here and leave no trace, which seems incredibly sad. I think we should firmly place our feet on the ground and add to the world, create, let our little creations go out in the world and, and lift other people's days. So this feeling my feet on the ground has many, many things mixed up in it to do with just getting out of overwhelm, to do with listening to my body and being well, not being exhausted, not overusing my body, but also that feeling of being strong and stable and being able to speak from my gut, from my heart but also that taking up my space. I have a space. There's a Heidi-shaped space in this, and there's a Holly-shaped space and that everybody has a shaped space that, that needs taking up. And, and I just strongly believe that. So this, the words feel your feet on the ground is both an immediate get out of overwhelm because it moves your attention from here down to your feet, but it's also all of these other things. And that's three seconds, right? Feel your feet on the ground. And you get all of that in one go with practice. I was trying to do that right now as you were talking and feeling my feet on the ground. Hearing you say that makes me think that this is the root of all of our anxieties, that we are just not letting ourselves take the space that we need to take. Metaphorically, yeah. physically, literally all of those ways. Yeah, it results in you, you can't breathe. You know, all of this feeling of like you're, and you can't speak. It's like all your energy goes up here. But as soon as you send your energy down to the ground and you allow yourself just to be, to take up your space, your breath just returns to normal. Your belly fills. You just, you can lean back into this moment. Do you still practice yoga every day? Yes, in some form or another. Do I do an hour's physical practice? No, I don't feel that serves me. Did I, this morning I got up at five and rolled my mat out. Sounds very cool, but that's not normal. It's, it's whatever I feel 
And then often I'll have a little fight with my mind over not now, that's too hard. But yes, I'm doing some form of yoga as in getting out of my head into my body and allowing my body to move, whether that's running into the garden between calls and having little spin and dance, whether that's feeling my feet on the ground, which arguably is yoga, um, or whether that is a full-on practice. My favorite yoga practice is uh, Rado, which is a secret, spontaneous yoga practice hidden in the Zen practice. It's a hidden practice. It's absolutely beautiful. It's, it's moving from the body. It's allowing the body to move rather than thinking, I ought to do this. Can you share more about that, even though it's a secret or is it totally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to me, what one of the things I love about Zen, and I'm no Zen Buddhist by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, you retrain with Zen master, it changes your life by definition, I think. And he taught us some incredible things. M- I could talk for hours about that. But one of them was this structure versus freedom. So Zen is a very strict practice, like super strict. And when we were in training, it was really hard. Like we were up at six, we did an hour of meditation, an hour of physical yoga practice. You know, it was, it was all day. It was very, very full on. But within that structure, learning all of the yoga moves, learning how to sit on a cushion for an hour in that battle with your mind, that then gives you the freedom. Because your body knows how to move to then just say, okay, now we're not going to use the mind to direct the body. We're going to switch that off. And it's an internal practice. So we would start standing on the mat, feeling our feet on the mat, moving the attention to the hara, which is about two centimeters below your belly button, but it's the whole belt. It's like the sumo wrestler belt. It's the center of your being. It's your strength. It's your energy moving the attention there and then allowing the body to move. It's quite an interesting thing, allowing the body to move. You can do it now. So if you've got your hand, you can tell your body to move. You can say, oh, rotate your wrist, which is what you would be told in a a yoga class. Or you can say, what does your wrist need? Allow it to move and see what it does. And then you, it's almost like the, well, it is exactly like your mind is watching the body move. It's very good for emotion because emotion is energy in motion. So if you've got some energy that you don't like or you've, or you've just got just energy, like, we all have stuff going on in our body, you can allow it to move because it's all it wants to do is move through you, whether that's sadness and heaviness or resentment and anger or sheer joy, like when you just like a child can't keep still because they're so excited about Christmas. It's, it's that. It's the spontaneous arising of movement from deep within the body and it's a beautiful beautiful practice and that pretty much is central to my life so you think that there are different ways that different emotions move for example does overwhelm move differently through you than other emotions to me overwhelm's not an emotion it can result in emotion so overwhelm to me is the the constant flooding of our nervous systems into high alert unnecessarily carelessly as a society and as individuals until we understand our own needs for silence for soothing for safety so we can reset our own nervous system so overwhelm to me is that when we've just got stuck 
and we don't realize it and we are handling it because we become very, very good and very skilled at pushing through overwhelm, forcing our poor minds to think through that concrete of overwhelm, thinking there's something wrong with us. What's wrong with me? Why is my brain so heavy today? Why can't I finish this? Why am I procrastinating? Why am I not able to do that? Why can't I think straight? Why am I so grumpy? Why am I so emotionally reactive? It's all blame, blame, blame. So to me, these overwhelm is a symptom. It's a symptom that you've over-activated your nervous system, not once, but continuously, probably for years, because that's how we all live now. There's fear messages everywhere. There's alarming messages everywhere. And it's not good for us, but it's super helpful because once you realize, then you can free yourself from that and think clearly and reconnect your emotions or whatever you want. Live fully. Take up your space. It sounds like a dream come true. And I know that <laughs> you know from talking from when we talked before that I've dealt with overwhelm for a long time, um, since I was a teenager at least, and probably longer than that. And it's only been in recent years that I've even managed to get even a, a small hold on it. And it's a constant battle. And there are, there are certainly times when I do better at it and times when I do worse. Right now, you know, I've had a loss in the family, so it's a little bit harder for me right now. So what do you tell, what do you say to your clients when they are going through a time that is maybe more prone to overwhelm? How do you help them get through that? Stop trying to battle with it. It's number one. It's always start where you are in any moment. So the feeling your feet on the ground allows you to notice how you feel. And it can be really helpful to get out of the head because it's super busy there and it travels. The mind can travel so fast through time and space and lose us. And that's why we struggle to remain in the present. But when you're going through a difficult time or a particularly overwhelming time, often we don't want to be in the present because it's so painful. But we can only start from where we are. And that sounds so obvious, but we never start from where we are. We always start from where we think we ought to be or we're blaming ourselves because we think we're behind. We, we rarely just sit in the present moment with all its chaos, with all its pain, with all its overwhelm or with all its joy or with all of its mess, that dance of life. We rarely just sit with it and say, okay, this is what's going on for me. And I would say it's all just useful information. It's not good. It's not bad. So at a time when we've had a loss, that's super overwhelming. And it's really, really hard because grief hits us in this like wave, doesn't it? And the most unexpected times. And it's not always appropriate because we, we're professionals and we have families and it's not always appropriate to feel completely overwhelmed in the moment. But the problem is if we go with the whole, well, I need to deal with it so that if we do that too much, then it's got, it's got to come out somewhere, right? Because it needs to move through us. So what I usually suggest to clients is just start where you are. Notice completely neutrally how you feel, <clears throat> excuse me, in any moment. Notice the grief, notice the overwhelm, notice the sadness, notice the chaos, notice whatever's going on for you. And then if it's not appropriate at that moment to deal with it, because inconvenient tear leakage is not great. You know, if you're a professional and you have inconvenient tear leakage, you risk your, your professional respect. We work really hard to have professional respect. And there are times when inconvenient tear leakage is really threatening. So we don't want it. So what I would suggest in that situation is, okay, so you can do a little chat with yourself. 
thank you, mind or body or whatever's going through you for flagging this up. I'm really aware that right now I need to deal with this, but I'm going to do that later. And then what you can do is park it, but with gratitude, with love for yourself, soothing yourself, then feel safe. Know that you are safe, that you are loved, that all of this is okay. Even if it doesn't feel okay, everything's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong. Nothing needs fixing. It's just how things are in this moment. So it's that real just noticing. We're scared to notice because it feels too overwhelming, like we'll just crumble, but we won't. In fact, when we just notice with compassion, with love for ourselves, and particularly with neutrality, so I call it neutral noticing, just notice completely neutrally what's going on. So usually when things are really bad, we have to split the neutral and the noticing up. So just notice, start where you are. This is how things are. Survey the scene. And then bring in the neutrality, which would mean notice the judgments about it. I ought not to be feeling like this or the fear about it. This feels like it's never going to end. I'm not going to cope. Notice the stories. Notice the mind's activities. You've got two layers going on. And then you can notice the notice. The judgment of the noticing, or oh, you're not noticing properly, <laughs> or that's very neutral noticing. You know, we've always got these McJudgy and McBad, Mc, we end up calling it McBudgy. Mr. Bashy and Mr. Judgy on our shoulders going, You're not good enough. You should be handling this better. What's wrong with you? You shouldn't be feeling overwhelmed. This should have passed by now. You've had plenty of time. What's wrong with you? So the ability to notice that as well and call it out, but with a kind of like, I find it's helpful to bring a lightness to it. Like, ah, I see you, McJudgy. I can hear you. Thank you. Thank you for warning me, but I've got this. And right now, I'm just going to park that. But I'm going to, a useful thing to do actually is to write in your calendar, allow 10 minutes for processing the overwhelm or the grief or the sadness or whatever later and actually put it in your diary. I'm going to deal with this later, but right now, I have a child to see to, I have a colleague to see to, I have a client to see to. And then that give yourself that space and feel safe in that. So you're wrapping it up, you're giving it, you're wrapping like a fluffy blanket around it, soft. You're looking after yourself and then you just park that, put it in your schedule, get on with your day as best you can with kindness, with extra compassion. And then later you can deal with it. And a way of dealing with it, I would deal with it with the practice of getting out of your head into your body and rather than getting wrapped up in the stories about it just allow it to move through your body you get out of your head into your body so feel your feet on the ground notice in your body where this thing is that's bugging you at the moment and then just notice it like as a physical sensation not as the story attached to it so grief can feel heavy and all sorts of things and like it's never going to end but we can separate the it's never going to end and it feels heavy and it feels terrible and I feel really tired from it's a physical sensation and that can be really helpful it's a physical sensation and when you watch a physical sensation it often changes and moves and if you use curiosity curiosity is your friend here curiouser and curiouser said Alice If you just use curiosity to notice what's going on for you neutrally, the curiosity helps that neutrality, things will shift and change. And you might decide, right, I'm going to do this practice for five minutes, just allowing that to move through me, or I might do it for 10 minutes. If it gets too much, you can stop it. 
because you're in charge. You get to decide the pace at which you do this work, whatever works for you, because you matter. Are you a spirited, spectacular woman with a message, method, or framework that would change lives if only more people knew of it? Are you ready to grow your audience, strengthen your authority, and attract more clients through publishing a book? If so, it's time to bring your book idea to life. As a book coach who specializes in working with passionate, purpose-driven women, I can help you successfully write and publish your first or next book. Through a customized blend of strategy, accountability, writing prompts, and sisterhood, I will guide you to clarify your book vision to attract the right readers, structure your book so that it sends your readers on an exciting heroine's journey that makes them take action when they finish reading, create an energizing writing routine even if you don't consider yourself a writer, maintain focus amidst distractions so that you get it done in half the time, query your book proposal to agents and publishers with authority or self-publish your book with confidence, and make an impact with your book post-launch. Don't let your book stay trapped inside you any longer. Let's get your wisdom out into the world. Visit booksandalchemy.com slash coaching to learn more about my personalized book coaching services for women who are ready to elevate their reach and impact and get more clients doing it. This is your season. Let's show the world. Would you use the same practice for somebody who had a lesser form of overwhelm or just was kind of a little bit overwhelmed no that's that's the that's a deep sadness practice that's when there's something old or new that just it feels too much so for general everyday overwhelm that you know waking up in the morning and before you've even properly woke up your mind's out the door and it's like got the long list of everything you have to do and it's like it's it's across you can almost see your mind across the room like off it goes and then you're trying to drag yourself out of bed wondering why you feel so heavy um that kind of overwhelm the stuff we're all expected to put up with the normal every day this is just how things are you have to put up with it Heidi which is what I was told for years if you want a successful life you just have to put up with overwhelm and exhaustion that's just the way things are no it's not load of rubbish it's a completely ineffective way to work you can't focus you can't do anything it's boring and tedious it's time we all stopped it but it takes skill and it takes commitment So for that situation, I would suggest catching yourself trying to push through the overwhelm because that's the old bad habit, which was a good habit at the time. This is the thing. It works, right? So to have a career and build a successful life, it works. Pushing through overwhelm, ignoring your body, getting your head down, sacrificing, it works. So we can't beat ourselves up for it because that's what we were taught to do, to be a high achiever. That works until it doesn't. And then it stops working and then we're in trouble. And then we can spend years and years going, am I going to be able to hold my life together or am I going to have to quit and downsize? What am I prepared to lose in order to get my health back? What am I going to have to give up to feel sane? And this is a false choice. And that's what the gentle rebellion is. It's the alternative. A rock and a hard place. That's no way to live. Like we didn't work this hard to work this hard. There's no reason for it. But it's what we're taught, it's what we've learned, and it has worked. But if you want to do things differently, you have to catch the overwhelm. You have to commit to not pushing through overwhelm and choose to get out of overwhelm before you start doing something. And then you get out of overwhelm. And from the place of not being in overwhelm, that's when you do your 
focused priority. And then you set, you gradually find ways to set your life up so that it's easier and easier to remember this commitment to yourself. I commit to myself first, to living my life my way. I don't do overwhelm. I don't do pressure. I don't do exhaustion. So for me, when I have a bout of overwhelm, like last Friday, I was like, oh my God, I've got all this stuff to do. What's wrong with me? Because I take on too much, because I get excited, because I'm a creative person who wants to make the world better. Normal stuff, right? So I was like, oh, I'm overwhelmed. And then there comes the guilt and the shame. Well, you shouldn't be feeling overwhelmed, Heidi, because you help people with overwhelm. That's not true. Of course I get overwhelmed. That's why I do this work, because I overgive. I have a tendency to overgive, overthink, overuse my mind to the detriment of the rest of my life, my ability to switch off, laugh, have fun, be myself not be grumpy um yeah not be snappy monkey and grumpy with my dog so I stopped my, I caught myself trying to push to overwhelm I caught the fear I caught it all and I just went and not immediately I'm not perfect it's just a practice you can't do this stuff wrong you can just forget that's all and then you just get back on the horse and go oh how can I achieve everything I want to achieve today without overwhelm So you just switch it around. Instead of what do I need to do in order to get to the end of the list so that then I feel better, like what are the obstacles in my way of feeling at ease? Well, I need to do a million things. Well, that's not possible. And also it's a lie because we all know there's no pot of ease at the end of your to-do list. Like you get to the end of your to-do list and you have more to do. Of course you do, because if you didn't, you wouldn't have a life and that would be rubbish. We want a to-do list. What we don't want is to be constantly sacrificing our lives in order to do the stuff on the list so the question then becomes how how do I want to move through my day what do what do I want to achieve or more importantly how do I want to feel as I move through my day or if you're having one of those days when you really need to kick ass and this is a really good question on a Monday morning how do you want to feel on the end of by the end of the working week by the end of Friday how do you want to feel in your body, in your heart? How do you want to feel? Because everything we do is in order to change the way we feel. There's no other reason for doing anything. It's all about how we feel. So feel that now. Feel it now. Feel at ease now. Imagine it done, even though it seems impossible. Because as soon as you feel at ease, you're out of overwhelm, your nervous system resets, you can focus, you can kick arms, you have more energy, you feel lighter, you have more humor, you're more in connect with your full self. You feel more relaxed. So you're more able to lean back in the moment and say, I've got this. You have better perspective. You get out of the tunnel vision when you think, I have to get my head down or terrible, terrible things will happen. Not true. You know, if you, if you time jump to, I don't know, even next week, the crisis you're having now will have passed. Like we know that. And the beauty of getting older is being able to look back and go, oh my God, the anxiety that went into that decision. And yet I'm looking now going, Who cares? So get out of the overwhelm and everything gets easier. And I did that last Friday and I had the most hilarious day when there's something cool goes on with this work about bending time. And I call it a fat day. So a fat day is you wake up in the morning and you've got your normal linear day in front of you. And then you somehow bend time and it it gets wider in the middle. And you get to the end of the day and you go, oh my God, this morning felt like it was a week ago. But I just feel like I've floated through my day. 
and I've got so much done and oh my goodness and it's been fun I love it when that happens I love that too I've actually noticed that I've been having days like that since my daughter started kindergarten and and now she's at school for longer than she was during preschool and we're getting up earlier and it'll be 10 a.m and I'll think gosh it feels like it should be four o'clock but I have the whole day ahead of me and yeah, yeah. it feels great feels great yeah so one of the things that you said before we started recording was we were talking about podcasting and you told me that you thought that sharing your story is generous and I loved that you said that and I would love to hear you talk about that a little bit more because as you know I work with people who want to write a book and I'm a book coach and one of the things I found with women entrepreneurs in particular is that we feel well, I'll actually take it back to two things. You said when you were talking about you feel this contraction and you need to take up more space and that we le- need to leave a mark on the world, a creative mark and an artistic mark. That's something that a lot of women entrepreneurs struggle with, I find. And I want to hear you talk about how sharing the story and taking up more space is actually a generous and creative thing. Yeah, I'd say I completely resonate with that. And I, I struggle with that as well. The, the feeling that what I have to say isn't important, the feeling that my story is not important. And yet every time I've shared it, somebody said to me that I've never felt so seen. I've never felt so seen. It's like you were inside my head, you were describing me. And yet it was my experience. And that's that's so powerful right like we we all have stuff we're struggling with and it's easy to say first world first world problems blah 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 you just need to get on with it you just need to cope better and then there's all this stress management which drives me mad patch yourself up get back into the fray but when we talk about our story particularly as quite ordinary people and this is the funny thing about entrepreneurs because we're not ordinary. We're extraordinary. Most people don't get out there online and, and, and share their gifts with the world. It's a really deeply courageous act. The more I do this, the more I look back at myself and go, Heidi, if you'd known, you'd, you probably wouldn't have done this. I don't know if that's true because I felt very driven and I've just followed the path here. But it's courageous like, and the word courage comes from the heart. And when you share and somebody else hears your story and you think your story's ordinary, but to them, they feel seen and heard, you change their life. You literally change their life because they go, oh, she gets me. And she's overcome it. So there's hope for me and it's not that hard and I don't have to be some like big superstar. Like it's easy. I know it's easy for me to look at people further ahead on their entrepreneurial journey and go, well, if I was them, it would be easier. But the point is at each stage we're at with sharing our story, there's somebody who needs to hear our story because it's like the, the people who are just behind you are the people who need your story the most. And if when you're further ahead, you won't resonate with them. So then you've missed it and they've missed that chance. It also changes you because when you talk about your story in, a, in an authentic way, but in a, in a place from love and respect and integrity for yourself, and I think this is really important, this whole 
Don't share things that you're not ready to share. Don't share things. Like I never share anything about people close to me. If, if my stories involve any, anyone else, I would never share them. You know, shared stories are either got to be anonymous or they've got to be with permission. So I don't share things about me that I'm not prepared to share. That's very, very important. I share the stories that are, that are unique to my journey that resonate with the people that I am here to serve, nothing else. And that's very important. But in order to be in a place to share that story, you have to heal from it first. And the healing from it comes from the trying to identify which stories do I share that will resonate with the people I want to serve. That process in itself, although at the time is deeply frustrating on your entrepreneurial journey because everybody's, you know, the you know, the whole avatar thing and, and, you know, all of these different, I felt very overwhelmed and bombarded by all of the helpful advice and all the people selling stuff to me and still often do, but I'm much better now at, at just saying that's not for me. I know who I am. I know who I serve and I'm on my path now. But those years of struggling to work through that, to be courageous enough, and I haven't done it as much as I intended. Who does? You know, I still wake up going, I can't remember what it was I was going to say. What's my message again? Is it important? So it's for me, it's that constantly reconnecting to it, the purpose. Why am I doing this? Why am I sharing something? What do I have to share? And the more we do it, the easier it gets because somebody somewhere, if, if I always think if one person hears this, this interview and is touched by it, that's enough. One person matters. But yeah, I, I really think it's, it's just so generous to share your story and to share it from your heart, to take the time, to find the courage, to, to pick the stories that are vulnerable enough to connect, but don't offload, you know, getting that right. So it's a gift, not a dumping. That's a gift to you because you have to heal and journal that out and talk about it with friends first, maybe. But for anybody who hears it, it's really generous. And you know that because when you read other people's story, you know, we're all looking for other people to inspire us. One of the biggest questions in coaching is who inspires you? To which I really struggle because some of the people who inspire me are so far away from me. They're too big. It doesn't really inspire me. It kind of makes me feel a bit small. I'm more inspired. Actually, I'm very, very inspired by my clients because I work with the most incredible people. And yeah, I think who inspires you is quite difficult. The people who inspire us are actually the people who aren't that far away from us. So I would argue that we all have a story to share. We all have gifts to share and that we all matter and we all have an important space to take up. I absolutely agree with that. As you know, as you know, I believe I know, I know. Story. <laughs> absolutely. And one of the other things that I want to kind of hammer home is that a lot of times, at least for me, hearing somebody share their story makes me see something I didn't see before. and. And it's not even just that I get to connect with this person, which I do, but it's a light bulb moment for me where there was this blind spot I had and they've taken the blinders off and now I can see it. And 
And sometimes people, you'll hear it from many different people. I mean, everything has been used before. Everything's been said before. No idea is new at this point, but we can hear the same idea 30 different times from 30 people. And it's that 31st person who says it slightly differently and then it all clicks. And so I think it's really important for everybody to just share their story as well. Even if you feel like it is a story that's already been told, even if you don't feel like you're saying anything new, even if you feel like, well, there's a hundred other people who do the same exact type of coaching I do, it's still important for you to speak. Yeah, because it's it's your voice, your energy. It's the right time, the right voice, the right feeling. It it is literally the resonance, isn't it? The vibration of your energy and your voice. It's it it's something quite deep going on. But yeah, I'll, I'll look at people who are saying the thing I'm looking for and go, nah, mm-hmm. nah, that's not for me. And then I hear it from somebody else and I already know it. And suddenly it's like, oh, yes. Exactly. Yeah. Love it. Okay. I'm going to ask you one more question a day. Tell me what your favorite thing about autumn is. Oh, I struggle with autumn because in our house, we're upside down. So I'm a spring summer person and my partner is an autumn winter person. So we get to this changeover point and I'm feeling this deep sense of grief and loss as the summer closes, even though there's much to harvest. And eventually when I get through that into autumn, I love autumn too. But I struggle because my partner's celebrating, like the nights are drawing in, he's literally excited. Whereas at the other end of the year, the nights are going away and I'm excited and he's sad so it's, it's hilarious and we have a very good relationship but it is we are polar opposites so it almost feels like he's rushing into autumn and I'm fighting to hang on to summer which is quite an extraordinary thing once I get over that into and interestingly enough actually in Zen yoga we have five seasons because we also have late summer and that I find that quite helpful um it's that harvesting that digesting the year that's a very stomach-orientated time. It's a very short season. And I think I need that because, to me, bridging between this crazy summer energy um, into autumn, I need autumn. I also crave the slowing down. I love the lighting of the fire. I love hot chocolate. Um, I love watching movies. Um, I love kicking autumn leaves. There's an arboretum we go to with the most incredible aces and the, the color is just stunning. We have our traditions. Um, once I land in autumn, I love it. But the lead up to it, I'm pulling in the other direction going no. And I feel a real grief. It's quite an interesting time for me. That is really interesting. I feel the same way I think about winter because I do really love autumn, but I'm also, I hate being cold. And so I really dread winter as it approaches. But once we're in winter, at least the first part of winter with the holiday season and the festivities, I really enjoy that. But then later winter, January, February, early March, it's really tough for me. And I have to find ways to to enjoy it when when it's not my ideal spot to be. Yeah, no, I'm completely with you. And I I get to late January and I'm starting to get quite like, come on, I need daylight. I've had enough. I'm actually thinking I should just pack in the whole trying to embrace the entire winter and just fly somewhere hot, actually. 
because I think that would probably do me the world of good. I just, I look different physically. Like for my business, we do a photo shoot in August because that's when my, I like, I've come alive by then. My hair looks great. You know, my skin, I feel better. If we tried to do one with me in spring, I wouldn't be ready. It's like, it's just really funny. I just, I'm a beach person. I'm a summer person. I love spring. I get so excited about spring. But February, late January, February, I find it really tough. And yeah, I don't know what you do about that, actually. I try to notice the um, things like, it's a bit, the good thing about winter, particularly the end of it, because you are able to say, well, actually, the days are getting longer before you realize because often my mind's in the was February, drab, drab, drab. But actually, there's quite a lot of daylight then, right? But you can miss it. So I try to draw attention to that. Look, mind, there's more daylight. Be happy. And then also um, just getting very, very excited about the tiniest, tiniest thing, like the snowdrop, then the daffodil, anything like that, just to kind of, Almost like I'm pulling myself on a rope back towards daylight and spring. Yes, yes. I really look forward for our crocuses coming up and then our daffodils. Yeah. And once I see the crocuses, it's almost like, phew, like almost there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's what I was going to say. The good One of the good things about um, winter is that I see it as, you know, in the summer, you'd have to get up super early to see the sunrise or you'd have to stay up really late to see the sunset. Well... In winter, it's like it's brought towards you. That like is it's an just excellent there. point. That's an excellent point. I love that. Yes. Thank you for And it's particularly that. good at the end of winter because you can notice it, but you know it's not for long. So you, you must see it now because it's going to get further away and you're going to have to get up earlier. Excellent point. Thank you so much for sharing that. This has really been a fascinating conversation. So tell me more about where everybody can find you online and how you can help them. So you can find me at heidimark.co.uk or you can go and listen to me on the Overwhelm is Optional podcast. Check out Holly's brilliant interview where she generously shared. And I also have a book on Amazon, Overwhelm is Optional. And I'm on all the, you know, usual places, social media at Heidi Mark. It's been really lovely to talk to you today, Heidi. Yeah, it's been great to see you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Dream Season. I've got just one thing to ask of you. Please, please, please leave a review on Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. All you need to do is select a star rating, and I hope it's five stars, but please be honest, and tap, type, or even voice to text one or two sentences about your experience listening, something you learned, or something you loved. This is the single most important thing you can do to help this podcast succeed. And as a thank you to anyone who leaves a review today, I will send you a free audio guided visualization for each season so you can find your creativity no matter the season. Just email a screenshot of your review to hello at booksandalchemy.com and I'll send you the visualization. Thank you again for listening and remember, no matter the season, remember to dream.